This week on the Colin and Samir podcast, we're joined by Yes Theory's Amar Kandil to talk about our latest film, The Lost Pyramid. If you haven't heard about it yet, we spent the last month working on this movie with our friends at Yes Theory. It was one of our toughest creative projects to date, but we're really excited about the story that we got to tell. On this episode, we talked to Amar about the process of making this film and bring you guys behind the scenes of what the last few weeks have been like working on this movie. We also talk about how we released the film, which was a total experiment for us. We didn't release the film on YouTube. We actually released it on Yes Theory's website, using a pay what's fair model, meaning the audience gets to decide how much they want to contribute to watch the movie. So this is now our third documentary this year and our second documentary with Yes Theory. It's also our second podcast with Amar. If you haven't heard the first podcast we did with him, definitely go back and check it out. There's some amazing stories in there. And if you haven't seen the documentary yet, go to yestheory.com slash documentary to check it out. You can contribute whatever you want to watch to the film, anything above a dollar. All right, we hope you enjoy this episode of the Colin and Samir podcast featuring Amar Kandil. Okay. Now we're rolling. Now we're rolling. Right. What were you saying, Amar? It's just there's always this like giddiness and like feeling of getting butterflies in my stomach being on your guys' podcast for the, all the best reasons because I, I always feel it's like such a, a time for exploration and, and, and reflection and self-discovery even. Uh, you guys are the most amazing interviewers of like, I, I really enjoy your podcast. I really enjoy talking to you whenever we sit in a, we have a setting like this. It's, it's really special, man. That's really nice of you to say. I mean, I feel like we've also realized that this podcast, even just when Colin and I are on it is so much self-discovery and so much like just, uh, almost very therapeutic. And it's cool that like guests feel like that too. And that, we, that's the we process. go through the journey with you guys as we listen to right. your podcast. It's it's so it's very adorable. <laughs> like, <laughs> I always think the relationship is very cute. It's uh, good to hear it. That's why I love it because when we record a lot on Sunday nights, and I'll sit down, and I don't even know an hour later where we're going to end up. Hmm. Like we have a general idea, of course, and a topic, but personally, there are things that come up for both of us that we had no idea were going to come out. Wow. Yeah. That's one of the coolest things. Mm. It's also really nice to sit here in this house and be relaxed a little bit yes. together. <laughs> yeah. Because if you just re- rewind back to 48 hours from today, it was a totally yeah. different feel. Oh, yeah. Maybe Should you could paint the picture. Yeah, paint yeah, the picture. Why don't, why don't we paint the picture? Oh. <laughs> so last time Colin and Samir were here, uh, we had not slept in about 36 hours. We had been facing technical difficulties with hard drives and with computers and with just like Premiere in general with the final timeline of the dock that we're opening. And that was building up in frustration until probably seven hours of frustration later, there was like a, a breaking point where we just had to make the decision to wrap up the project with whatever resources that we had at the point at that point, which is exported in different sections and just throw in one timeline. And, and you guys were pretty much drunk off sleep deprivation yeah you know what i didn't recognize how much that was going to affect me like we had talked and we knew that the night before this came out was going to be an all-nighter we knew it because the math didn't add up anymore of we had way more work to do than we had time yeah than we hours to do it so it was like no matter what it's gonna be an all-nighter and part of me was like prepared for that but when it was happening there was moments for me that were just so uncomfortable Hmm. i didn't anticipate it at Hmm. all 
What I was not prepared for were the te- technical difficulties in the morning. Yeah. Right? Because you're editing all night, you're compiling it, you're putting everything together, and you just expect, okay, I'm going to be up all night, but at least at 10 a.m., no I'll matter what, to export it and, it's yeah. out. Yeah. Did not that happen. Was that did not, not happen. That, that was not, not That was the opposite of what happened. Yeah. Um, and, and Colin had the, a great description of what was happening, which is like the antithesis of editing. <laughs> we, well, that was the problem is that we got to a point where we could not make a single move. You know, the best thing about editing is that you can make changes. Yeah. And that's what's fun about it, right? Yeah. You watch the cut together and then you're, okay, now I know what's wrong and now I get to make changes. The situation we found ourselves in was, you know, we watched the cut. We saw everything that was wrong and there was a good amount, more than we expected. And then when we tried to make a change in our timeline... Premiere would crash every time. So yeah, for you, for you creatives and you editors out there who are familiar with Premiere, you probably have similar frustrations. But really, this brings up a, a lot of interesting concepts. And I want to rewind back to the first doc that we did, which mm-hmm. was Frozen Alive, which was a, a, a forty-eight minute doc about your experience, Amar, with uh, with Wim Hof in Poland. Yeah, and that one was really interesting because the timeline was so short to put it out. Yeah, it was six days. Six full, days total. Full work, yeah. And, you know, there was a lot of differences in that story to this story. Um, but, you know, you guys, as Yes Theory, just take me through kind of the experience of when you came back and when we made that that whim film. After that film came out, why did you want to do another long-form piece? When, when the reality is Yes Theory's videos at 20 minutes are basically short mini docs right in some way shape or form they're like unscripted storytelling in in 20 minutes why did you want to make another movie at that point because it's uncomfortable <laughs> it's really uncomfortable to make to do something that we're not familiar with and i think as as creatives it would be almost the death of us to just to continue doing what we're what we've what, what we've gotten used to doing for the rest of our career so pushing the pushing the envelope on being able to dive into new formats and new length and new ways of telling a story. And and as a byproduct of that, we're actually getting to work with more creatives who we're learning so much from. I mean, just this is the second time we got to work together on a on, on, on a doc and third time we got to work together on a big project after the Will Smith jump, I, the Frozen Live doc, and now this is the... Th- and every time we learn so much from you guys. And this time we've had... We've had Mark, we've had Ryan, we've, ha- we've got, and we had all the extra people on the actual production uh, when we were out in the jungle, Sam and Andreas and Johnny and Sorrel and Max and, and Perry. So every time you get to do something so uncomfortable in that way, you actually have to expand your, uh, you, ha- you, have to, you have to add more people to the team. And, and that just results in more friendship, more fun in the process. And I think that was the big, uh, right before we, we started rolling, I was just thinking about how grueling that morning was, but also how amazing I felt. Like that, even with everything going wrong, I just felt that we were winning to have had the experience and to have just been able to create what we created in this time and be able to put something out there that is so raw and so honest. Was yeah, it, it made me feel. Yeah, I, you guys were doing a lot more like g- groundwork <laughs> sure. on the edit, yeah. so I had I think I had more but- capacity to. To experience that, but but I understand what you're saying. It's uh, even Frozen Alive. I think the reason why we wanted to come back and do another one was if I think back to the actual minutes of making that project, it was really hard as well. Mm. But it's almost easy to forget about it a week later because of how much fun you remember having together 
and how much adrenaline and dopamine there is in producing something and having it be out there and getting feedback from the audience. And the reality is working with a group like you guys, we get to put something out and have immediate feedback at scale, Mm -hmm. at like a mass scale. And it's like, whoa, I mean, Frozen Alive, 5.4 million people have seen it. So to have that amount of feedback is, I mean, it's kind of addictive. It, and it's for, it's one of a kind that only this at this time in history, independent creators are able to do that. Yes, we did not do it with a studio, we did not do it with a production company. We just did it. We just took a bunch of friends. We went to Poland. We right. came back. We got a m- bunch of more friends, and we did an edit in six days. And we put it out, and it became the longest piece of content that we've that yesterday we had ever made at that point. The most the most views, the most watched minutes, the most engagement we've ever had on a piece and it truly just elevated the brand in ways that we'd never like there were people coming up to us on the street just because they watched frozen alive not because they know yes yeah Mm. i think i was telling you i was at a dinner in austin texas and people were going around talking about movies that they would recommend and someone recommended it that's and i was like whoa this is a very special experience yeah it really makes the discomfort worth it too and mm-hmm. specifically, and by that I mean when you do it independently, mm-hmm. because no matter how uncomfortable it is or it was, you brought it all on yourself mm-hmm. and you're the one who's going to get yourself out of it. It's not like there's some studio telling you, oh, you have to change this and you're so angry because you don't want to change it. And that's why you're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's the best type of discomfort. Absolutely. Creatively. You, you nailed it. Yeah. Man. That's really interesting because it's self-imposed, right? Yes. And the thing that I think is really fun about working together is that everyone has a high standard. So we could have put this out at different levels, right? But we keep pushing. Mm-hmm. And even now, we want to push further. Yeah. So uh, before we go into this, we talked about the discomfort of making a documentary, right? Mm-hmm. And the, a lot of the reason that you wanted to do another one was because it's un- creatively uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But why don't we talk a little bit about the premise of this doc and how it was physically uncomfortable as well because you know obviously that's a big uh, part physically of physically and emotionally do. and emotionally for yeah. me emotionally, and, and for that you was, that was I mean the there's real. there's parts that I want to get into about us creating this and you're the the subject of the story and we all have to look at it in a way of how the audience is going to receive it but we're also making your story and it's so personal to you it's all, it was almost hard to connect those two things but just talk about you know the the process of making it because there's multiple layers of of discomfort in making this documentary. Well, where do I even start? So I'll take you back to 2014 when I was uh, a sophomore in university at studying on the west coast in the west coast of Canada. Um, I was working on a tech startup uh, called One Up uh, that I co-founded with my friend Oscar, who's an American attending attending the university in Canada, and we. Um, as we were thinking about ways to launch the app, to launch One Up, uh, which was a, a video platform that promoted competition and and challenging each other and challenging oneself, um, he he asked me if if you were to one up anyone in the world right now, uh, who would you one up? And I had just seen uh, an epic selfie that this British adventure uh, adventure had taken with the face of Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro. And I just remember seeing it and I was like, wow, that's so epic. He gets to be on top and he gets to experience that. And in that moment, I just remembered, oh, I had a moment like that where I once wanted to get to the top of the Great Pyramid of Giza. And that's when the dots connected of, well, maybe I can, maybe I can make a piece of content 
just like this guy put 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 out a photo that that went massively viral that made a lot of people think about Brazil. Maybe I can do something similar. And instead of just it being a selfie, what about I get to tell the story of this quest from, you know, having the dream as a child in a moment that I shared with my dad when I visited the pyramid for the first time to then getting to do it uh, as an adult legally because a lot of people have been just sneaking up, uh, doing it illegally and coming down. And if they're Egyptian, they would get arrested, go to prison. And if they're foreigners, they would get arrested and get sent back to their countries, but they still get away with it. Um, and that was really frustrating for me to, to, to see just, you know, people over and over and over again, disrespecting the, the monument and doing it and doing it that way. But back to, uh, my story, I end up, I end up going back to Egypt in 2014, uh, and over Christmas break, I took a month off from school and I went back and for 39 straight days, I would go into a different government office every day, pitching them the idea, telling them why why I would want to make such an attempt and actually get to climb the Great Pyramid of Giza. Uh, and the kind of, and the story that I want to tell and who I have backing it up. At that point, I had talked to GoPro, told GoPro that I, uh, I've i got a contact at the Egyptian, uh, the Egyptian government who will let me do that. Do you guys want to sponsor it? And they were like, yes, we'll do it. So I went back to the Egyptian government and said, hey, GoPro, this like hub of content for adventures and travelers around the world, everybody's looking at it. If we make this video, they will be putting it on their channel. And and that was a big reason of why the Egyptian government said yes, because I had that credibility with them. Because basically, I had to paint the picture at that point is that I'm I'm a, like a world class adventurer who is right. very capable of climbing the pyramid. Like even if you <laughs> translate the 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 permission letter, they have like they mentioned to the different ministers that I'm like I've climbed mountains before. I've climbed Mount Fuji and I've done this and I've done oh, that. Wow, wow. Um, so that it would be like prestigious for you ex- specifically. Exactly. Like, exactly. And as an Egyptian adventurer, like it was so funny, like the amount of fluff that I had to put around to just make this happen. But um, I end up. Um, with like through a miracle actually getting the permit had enough people believe in it that we end up uh, getting the the permit and then on the day of the climb we to Oscar and I we were prevent we we were denied from entering because one of the first people that I went to during my attempts was the head of the head of the tourism police at the pyramid and I went into his office and he was so mad (laughs) for me to just have such an attempt because he saw it as like the ultimate disrespect and he saw and he looked at me as like oh so you're just like you're this rich spoiled kid who went who's going attending school abroad because in his mind if I attend school abroad then my parents are rich enough to send me there even though I was on the full scholarship going to school uh and he's like oh you're you're barely even Egyptian you want to come back and you want to you want to mm-hmm. climb this no fuck that over my dead body I, like that's not going to happen uh and even though I had every single signature that he needed from all his superiors he still just like stalled it because at that point he had known that I leave Egypt the following day so I can go back and start my semester in Canada because I had taken a month off. Um, But at that point, I just, there was so much friction that day and I was just so exhausted. I had just taken a, like a, like a long bus ride back from the middle of the desert, like 16 hours on the bus uh, and then getting back. And I just decided to let it go, be prepared with a better production to be able to come back to Egypt uh, after a summer. Uh, the the following summer and actually do this take make another attempt but by by the time that happened the whole government was shuffled and uh all my paperwork was just useless it was invalid during the summer before i was supposed to go back to egypt to make another try to climb the pyramid i met thomas uh who's my the co-creator of yes theory and during that time i i 
I had five or six days left in Montreal before I, I relocated to New York. I was supposed to leave the city and continue raising money for my tech startup out there before I go back to Egypt at the end of the summer. And that meeting completely changed my life. I met Thomas and we had this shared this connection. He told me about a video project that he wanted to do about getting out of his comfort zone every day for 30 days. And, and uh, that aligned very much with the ethos of the tech startup that I was working on. And and then I shared with him right away the fact how I was planning on launching my tech startup, which is by one-upping this British adventurer who had climbed Christ the Redeemer statue and took most epic selfie with uh, with the head of Christ. Uh, and in my mind, I was like, I wanted to one-up that by achieving my childhood dream and climbing the Great Pyramid of Giza because that's the first dream I remember having as a child. Um, and then apparently that story really stuck with Thomas that when he, when he he after he left the party, he went straight to Matt who he had just be- he, he was just becoming friends with and he told him about meeting that guy who had the permit to climb the Great Pyramid of Giza and from there I met Matt and and then Matt Thomas Matt and I just started Yes Theory and uh by doing Project 30 cut to 2017 um I go back to Egypt for one last time because uh as an Egyptian I am forced to serve in the military if I have a brother and I do have a brother uh, so that was my last opportunity for me to introduce my family in Egypt to my family in in LA. Thomas, Matt, TD, uh, Darren, and Perry, and we. Uh, and during that last visit, I was gonna appeal to the government to let me do it. Well, to 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 let me do it because now at this point we were working on Yes Theory and it was growing and we had more leverage to just be able to actually tell the story and better and bigger than any other time I had pitched it to them. But still, because of corruption, because not enough people were going to be paid, they completely stalled it. And that was just one last time I could have done it before I'm 30, before I go back, which at this point, there's no way they would even let anyone um, reapply or get any permission to to do that. But I left and, and then only about nine months ago, Matt came to me and he said, you know, you still have the opportunity to climb a pyramid in fact it's the biggest pyramid in the world and i was very confused because in my mind the biggest pyramid in the world is the one that i'm the one in egypt but he actually told me that that was not correct and it's a it's a very common misconception because the biggest pyramid in the world actually exists in the deep jungle of guatemala about six miles out of the mexican border and i was very confused but he but in that moment just something really something clicked i was like wow is that is that our chance to to all climb a pyramid together and actually close that to close that unfinished dream that that i got so close to doing but now actually it feels it feels like the people i'm surrounded by are exactly the people that i would want to do this with and even though it's not where i wanted it to be it still resembles such a powerful idea of how i end up getting to where I am today. Yeah. One of the things that drew me to this story so much is the symbolism. Because even when you were just talking about it there, it's like how different it is, right? The Egyptian pyramid, the Great Pyramid of Giza, you had to ask all these people. You had to get permission to do it, right? Mm -hmm. You had to go through all these things. So many people had to sign off. And then it ended up being the system and the process that didn't allow you to do it and just the corruption, right? Mm -hmm. This one you just have to th- you have to be willing to do the work to get there. Yeah. And that was That symbolism already is so amazing, right? Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. one of them 
is the old style of like asking for permission. I mean, even if you look at creativity as an example, like how we released this doc on our own, one of them is the old style where you have to work with a network, mm. get permission, get go through all this red tape. Try and have it maybe lose, like in a theater or yeah, something you and have lose, people line up to see it during a certain window. But this is totally different. You don't own the control of if you can get to the top, right? Yeah. But on the internet, you fu- if you're willing to put Amen. in the work, yep. you can get to the top. Yep. Anyway, that's like such interesting symbolism that yeah, I wanted to just drive the, the parallel there um, between these pyramids. Which, again, as, a, as I started, that was the main reason I just felt like we were winning even in the middle of that dark morning of everything going wrong for us to be able to compile that project is to just think about. And, and that evening we launched the doc, I end up a friend of ours had organized the premiere for 40 people. And then uh, one of the audience member um, audience members asked me if I, if it felt like I actually achieved that childhood dream. And without a doubt, I said, absolutely. Hmm. Um, so yeah so if 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 uh we're not going to tell you the full story of the doc because you should go check it out yeah. yes theory.com yeah, slash documentary it's a full journey within yeah. itself it's yeah, a it's journey within itself but, also, but it has to do with uh what amar was just talking about and you know it's through the guatemalan jungle it's it's a very it's unbelievable visuals you know you are this person who is going through this adventure you're also the subject of the documentary and you're also you know, a, a member of Yes Theory and the director of the documentary. Mm-hmm. What is that like when you're on the track experiencing this, but you're also conscious of what's being filmed, mm-hmm. but you're also the the subject matter? I, I thought we went to dinner right before we left, and I told mm-hmm. you that that was, that was going to be my biggest challenge and my biggest discomfort uh, working on this project is... Like I, I had the deep desire to be able to tell my own story. That's why I, like, I wanted to to direct it. And I mean, again, it plays on my strength of what I've already been doing with Yes Theory over the past four years. Um, but also, obviously, being able to fully be present with everything that I was feeling and everything that I was experiencing. Because when when people get to watch doc- the documentary, they will they will see the emotional layer that came with revisiting this childhood dream and. And actually going on a quest to make it, to make it come true. Um, so yeah, it was. It was really challenging, but I never felt like I always felt supported, and that that was. I mean, whether it's on the production by everyone around me, Thomas, Matt, just everybody on, on the trip, and everybody really understanding how emotional it is, and supporting me as a director f- through their different through their the different things that they all came for whether it's like andreas with getting the shots and knowing where to be i mean you never need to give andreas really that that much direction because he's just he's so intuitive and he yeah. he he just knows where to go and how to capture the the best angle possible but just everybody there we were getting in a flow that just m- made it so much easier for for me to experience what i was experiencing deeply without worrying that much about if everybody was getting the right shots and that was really the point like we wanted to take mm-hmm. the best people to who do what they do with us because we knew that there wasn't going to be people just had to to have the creative control and 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 capture what they think needs to be captured in the moment 
because it was more about experiencing. I don't know. That's that yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was gonna say I think that's probably why bringing a group of creators with you is so important, so that you guys can remain present as present as possible. Yeah, you know, and trust the creators to capture the experience. And there's value in it for the other creators that you bring too, because there's something great that comes from being granted a level of responsibility for someone else's story, mm -hmm. right? I speak just from experience of that, of being in the edit, yeah. you know, understanding that we're looking at you as a Mar of the character when mm -hmm. we're editing, but we also have this sense of a Mar our friend, mm -hmm. you know, and you like have a sense of responsibility there to like do it justice. Mm -hmm. So what was that experience like for you? So, you know, you go, you go through the experience and if you guys watch the doc, you'll see Amar's journey. Uh, which is amazing through through the Guatemala jungle and, and all the creators' journeys through it. But when we come back, now you've gone through this experience. Now we start editing the footage and we start reviewing cuts with you. And, you know, we're obviously, as filmmakers, trying to look at it as objectively as possible. But obviously with that, that kind of hint of these are our friends too and mm -hmm. Amar is our friend. But as we're cutting things and making scenes some of them are very emotionally charged and have a lot to do with you uh, personally. Mm -hmm. Is it strange to walk into an editing room with a group of people watching a very vulnerable moment of you and editing it? Oh my, that, I was just talking, I had a therapy session last night and I was talking to my therapist about it, about how like even when Mark was mixing sound and it was an extremely vulnerable moment for me where I break down and I find myself going, uh, Mark, actually add a pause between this and that. <laughs> And I'm like, oh my God, that is me experiencing something so like deep and raw and emotional and I'm, and I'm completely unplugged and distant mm. from it. But at the same time, I think, I'm actually, I was telling her, my therapist, that I was like very proud of myself to be able to create that, to create that distant during the edit because mm. it's so, it's, it's, I'm, of course, I'll be attached to every part of the story because I'm the one that experienced it. But I felt that because we knew what's at, what's at hand and what, and the fact that this represented a bigger idea than just me, I was just focused on that big idea and what is actually the purpose of, of me putting myself out there in this state of just being vulnerable and getting really personal and sharing things about my family. Like, why am I doing that? And I just stayed connected to that purpose, which is, if you watch the documentary, you will, you will, you will see where it alludes to in the end. But um, I think... And I was really worried that when it comes out, I would I wouldn't be able to get in touch back with actually the events that happened and and the emotional element of it. But I found myself in the premiere that I that I attended mm -hmm. after forty hours of being up. I I found myself reacting with the parts where I that threw me back into that into that emotional state of either reading my you know dad's letter for the first time when he gave me the ultimatum to either choose yes theory or or not have a relationship with him or or the moment when I remembered my dad on the trek and just remembered where this whole dream was born through a conversation with him and that made me miss him a lot because I haven't spoken to him in over a year and a half now um just like all these different moments I found myself I found myself getting back in touch with it and that's when I knew that the film was powerful it's because it delivered and making me who had to desensitize myself the most from experiencing these things I actually felt it all all over again, and that's when I was happy with our decision to actually release it, despite mm. the what we went through that morning, and despite feeling that there could have been a lot of things that we could improve about, like on polishing the project and make it, giving it like the final premium feel. Yeah. Uh, which now 
we're getting to do and right. we're opening up the project again because with the model that we're applying we're actually still get to put it out on youtube which is was really important to me the, mm -hmm. t to do which i'm sure we'll get into and that'll later. be the cut that lives forever yeah yeah right so yeah i mean that alone is is something that's probably going to be a um a theme that carries out is just you know the the purpose behind the content especially with you there's such a deep message behind all of this and and it's not one event it's not just the video that you put out about your dad's letter it's kind of you now as a person are standing for something mm -hmm. you know and and standing for something that uh i think it's probably pretty evident every time you put out a piece of content how many people experience it the same thing mm -hmm. um you know, just how many people are misunderstood, how many people are not accepted by their family for the choices that they make mm -hmm. or who they are. Mm -hmm. um, when when you put out pieces of content that have to do with Egypt or your family or something that you know might rub Egyptians the wrong way, mm -hmm. including this documentary, because you bring it up again, right? And you bring up all of that stuff again. Do you have any, is there any part of you that hesitates? Always. Every time. I don't know if I would call it hesitation or more something that I'm just like very conscious that it, that by the act of putting out a piece of content like that will, will the friction that it will create. Because to me, it felt like the closer and closer we got to pressing publish, the more aware you got of that or the more it came up in our conversations. Because I almost didn't have awareness of it through the process. Mm until we got close and then I started to feel it a little bit more and empathize with like, whoa, you know, I'm exhausted right now and I, we've been working on this film for three weeks and I feel like it's a really good film and we're really close and I really want to get to that point of, of pressing publish. But what it means for me is completely different from what it means for you because mm -hmm. not only are you the subject, but you're carrying a message that has to do with a lot more than even just your, you know, your own story. I think the hesitation in moments like this just comes from um, the immediate impact that it will have on my family. Uh, because, I, and I've gotten that before, a lot of people perceive what I do as like exploiting a family matter, especially from my culture. It's so easily seen to be seen that way, and I totally understand it. But for me, as I said, it never this never translated as anything about my family and more reflecting a generational attitude towards us and like us as young people and the choices we want to make to live to live our lives in this very different reality than what our parents grew up in and that's really the part that gets lost in translation um literally yeah <laughs> um so so for me it's always just like you know in the pro in the pro during the process of prep prepping the prepping the production and then and then going on the adventure and then coming back to edit, it doesn't hit me until, as you said, until it's a few days before. And I'm like, oh, wow, my my mom is about to watch a trailer that I break down in. And she'll, even though she doesn't understand what's happening, she'll, she'll feel what's happening. And that's really going to, that's going to be really hard for her. And especially harder because she doesn't, she won't be able to understand the full context or fully grasp the story in the same way. Mm -hmm. Someone who is a native English speaker will, mm. will. So I'm um, in an attempt to connect to everybody out there who's 
who goes through similar experiences that I go through, I'm creating an even like bigger disconnection with my own family, which is which is always just such a hard choice every time we make a piece of content like this. And I, I still haven't, exp- it's something that has been, conti- like when we press publish, I was also still aware that my, my siblings are not gonna probably watch it until it's, got, it's out on YouTube because it doesn't, people don't have credit cards like that to be able to, to buy things mm-hmm. online. And which is again, a big reason of why I'm, I want it to be online because this story is, it's very important for me that people, people who don't have credit cards get it. And people who live in areas where it's just not accessible for them to buy things online, get it. Um, so now it's actually, now it's the time it's building up in my mind of when this goes out on YouTube, hmm. that's going to be a whole other thing that I deal with. Interesting. Yeah. See, it's a, it's a very, for all the people who work on the film, we have a much different relationship with the content mm-hmm. than you do. Mm-hmm. And that's something that in the days leading up to publish, I became aware of. I think when you and I started talking a little bit more about it and recognizing the date of release and like that's, that's when I became a little bit more aware of, of what it meant to publish. Mm-hmm. Cause the days of release was Eid. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which was, if you're not familiar with Eid al-Adha, it's uh, Eid al-Adha, it's, um, basically the biggest Muslim celebration of the year. It's the equivalent of Christmas uh, to Christians. And it was always the time where I felt the most connected to my family. And and it, w- it was just the happiest time of the year. Just like people experience Christmas here in that environment, that's what it was for us. So it was just such a, it was such a conflict in my mind to, to feel that historically this time that I, and it's usually a time ever since I left Egypt, it's the time where I really miss my family the most because it's the time I'm most aware of that. And to just think that I'm about to put to put out something that is even gonna create more disconnection between me and my family on that day was just so so brutal. <laughs> but but at the same time, I even in the middle of all of it, I I feel supported in in, in a way that I that I doesn't that I don't understand. There's this calmness inside of me that even with me putting the pieces like putting the connecting the dots and seeing how how this is going to create more disconnection i just know that it's going to create more relief than hmm. than anything else because at the end of the day i think after after putting the video out about my dad i just saw the that amount of people who related to that story and i think about i think about those people a lot even yesterday what what i yeah i want to get into that <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing, man. It's it's amazing. It's it's good to have these conversations because it brings us as creators and filmmakers, you know, it's it's I think the reason why it's it's fun for us to collaborate because there's so much meaning behind it mm-hmm. because we get to have these conversations yeah, and because we get to really try our best to understand. Then when we're sitting and editing, it means a lot more. Every cut means something, Yeah, you know, and it's it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very cool experience to get to and special experience to get to tell these stories and that was the thing that i think i felt most excited about when we when we decided to press publish was that no matter how unpolished it was the story was still there mm-hmm. and that was really powerful for me actually my my one of my best friends called me and he told me that even though even though i could see that i could see the parts where that weren't polished in that film quite yet it was still stronger than the Wim Hof. It was rougher yeah. but stronger. Yeah, I've heard yeah, that yeah, from people yeah. too. Yeah. It was rougher yeah. but stronger. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which makes me feel really good 
because I remember going in, watching the selects for the footage for this trip, thinking this is a much bigger mountain to climb, actually, than, yeah. than Wim Hof. <laughs> right. Just because the nature of what you filmed with Wim Hof wasn't necessarily as personal, but it was... It's a linear story. It's a linear story, and it's very visual. When you're shivering in the cold, people understand that. Yeah. This was like, we had to work really hard to make sure that people understood when you were breaking down the context behind it, so they felt it too. And when we were able to make that connection, like that, that feels good for me because it's something yeah. that we've never been tested to this degree before. Uh, we've never been in the in the setting of doing interviews. That's also a, a way of that storytelling that that we had never ever experienced before. Man, that was a really good time. I mean, I know we've had you guys on the podcast before, and I love interviewing you guys because you guys have so much rich experience in your life, mm -hmm. right? And that's what makes a good interview. But you've also become better and better and better at at recounting it on camera yeah because you're so used to looking at a camera yeah not a lot of people are used to looking into a lens and sharing very personal things i mean when we when you guys sat, yeah. sat so constantly were the ones that set up the 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 interview the way of shooting i guess and when they they put a camera right in front of me and i'm like no i'm only used to talking to you guys i yeah. don't want to speed the lens <laughs> yeah but then i had I had colin just stand right behind it and i i was just yeah. always thinking that okay i'm speaking to the lens but i'm speaking to colin which is because again for us it doesn't come natural to us to be able to speak to the camera and i don't think any filmmakers could have been in that room and were able to get us to look into the lens and feel that we're we're speaking to one to, to another human because mm -hmm. we are again as i said we're not natural on camera we, we've, mm -hmm. we're only learning how to do this but it's only because we feel comfortable with you guys when when it felt it's fine we'll look at the lens but it's colin samir looking at us or us looking at them that's awesome. Yeah. That, that was awesome. We have the most like special yeah, yeah. relationship work-wise and, right. and even like pers like on a personal level because you, you guys truly were there for the biggest moments of our lives. <laughs> it's so funny. And you know, that's all it, within a year of knowing each other. Sometimes it happens randomly too. Yeah. yeah. Like, like getting we this place. Yeah, like, we, we were together when you got the keys to this place that we're sitting in your new office. Yeah. yeah it just sometimes happens randomly. So I want to um, shift gears now to... This is also, not only was it different in the scale of the production, in the nature of the content, but it's totally different in the way we released it. Mm -hmm. We put it on a paywall. Yeah. So we, we put the movie uh, not on YouTube. We put it on yestheory.com slash documentary, and you have to pay to watch the movie. Mm -hmm. Now, you could pay anywhere from $1 up to however much you want, really. Um, and uh, you get to decide how much you want to pay to watch a movie. You pay what you think is fair to contribute to the film and to the to the filmmakers. Um, why? Why do that model? Because after the Wim Hof documentary, we got so many requests and offers to partner with big production houses that can then provide us with budgets and resources to be able to go and continue making stories at that scale. But for us, that was not the point at all of of actually spending the the time and money and resources on making the Wim Hof piece. It was actually quite the opposite. It's, it was the first step for us to prove that our audience will consume that type of content. And it will actually create such a solid impact for the brand that it will justify us taking such a big chunk of time and more resources to be able to make another doc. So for us, it was more about what what how will we create an a path to independent to independency when we make a film without needing to consider a partner into the coming into play or or 
a production house that wants to be involved in every part of of making the film. For yeah, so for us it was just more about getting to tell the the stories that we want to tell without any creative restriction. Because even if we even if we make a deal with with the production house that says, oh, you guys have the creative like the full creative freedom, the way we think about the production or the film is gonna be there's gonna be a level of mm-hmm. of a layer of restriction by just knowing that we have a partner and we can't just decide the day we put the put up the doc that oh fuck it we're gonna add this part because it makes sense now. If we have a partner, then we have to go back to someone to be like, uh, can we do this? If we want to set six days to edit a Wim Hof documentary, then it will be six days. If we want to say three weeks to edit the, the Lost Pyramid documentary, there's going to be that. And if whatever it is that we decide is what we end up doing. And that's something that we, through working with other partners in the past on productions, we just really didn't enjoy that experience of, even with all the promises of creative freedom and, and having final say on everything you still there's still friction and that friction is consumes the heck out of you creatively uh yeah there's still another voice in the room no matter what exactly and the motives for funding it are totally different you have maybe a studio or a big production partner and they're funding it because sure they may believe in the project and what it stands for but also they're out here to make money off of it right so like that's their goal they're funding it because they think it will be financially viable and they will do anything they can to be pushing that right to make it more commercial or you know if they don't agree with the end and i've I've been seeing that even in hollywood films where the movie would be so great and then i would i would see the ending i'm like why would they pick that ending and then i would be like oh because commercially it makes sense to have an ending that makes people leave feeling happy and Mm -hmm. wanting to recommend it i was like oh and i feel like with and again that happened for us with yesterday working with other production partners who wanted to make sure that you know that things translated at the end in a way that made it commercially more viable for them to sell it and the people who funded this film on the contrary are the people who care about the message exactly 100% because you don't take that vote of confidence unless you care about the message yeah and the the range of contribution has been insane like especially to see to see that le- the level of commitment that people have before even they see the doc right what were your expectations uh, like like when you guys came, when you talked about this model and you said okay we're gonna we're gonna release it behind a paywall which is you know very different. Dude, it, we had no idea. It was such a wild guess. Like we could have, we went through the scenarios so many times in our heads and we could just couldn't figure out if we're gonna, like, just make the price of the dock of what we spent and we like did the math breakdown so many times, or we're gonna be under be over like we had yeah. no idea how how it's going to work it's tough to predict because it's something that's never been done before yeah right exactly yeah, exactly we've we've only sold seek discomfort that right. was the only thing we've and the interesting thing is that merchandise you know clothing obviously it represents the brand and it's connected to you guys but content's actually the product and and that's actually the message that you constantly you consistently put out yeah. that's like what people know yes theory for is the content i think so. the part that blew my mind because we had to be transparent on on how we want this piece of content to be accessible and therefore it's going to go out on YouTube eventually. Yep. So the part that we didn't know is if we knew that if we said that a piece of content from Yes Theory will be exclusive, people would probably buy it, but I think would that would chip away from the integrity of the brand. For sure. Um, and I think that would harm us more than than whatever money gain that we would mm-hmm. that would have made by just keeping it exclusive and actually driving hype where the only way to see it is if you pay a dollar and and a, and in my mind like a dollar is very reasonable to watch 
to watch a film. But but then again, I come from a part of the world where a dollar is pretty. There, like people my age don't have that many dollars so that sure. they can spend one of them right. on a, on a film, and they they can't really purchase things online yeah. in the way we in the way I can here. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the part that made made it wildly unpredictable is the is the question: Will people pay? Knowing that they're going to get it for free within a couple of weeks, and the answer, and the answer is yes. The answer is yes. The answer and, is but so overwhelming, like an overwhelming yes from our audience and from just again the level of commitment that we that we see people just by going through the contributions. People people decide what they pay before they even watch. So the people that put in the hundreds and in the thousands of dollars to just show support to this endeavor to be able to create independent films and and bring other creators just makes us so excited about how 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 far we can take this and and that's what i think is so amazing is that this is a path to creating independent film and telling stories in the way that you want to tell it without another voice in the room it's yeah. like a pure direct to audience way of telling stories and what that i mean people will argue that well you have youtube why aren't you doing that on youtube i mean and you guys know to be to be an independent creator on youtube and actually be able to make a living out of it it's you got to be one of the luckiest people on the planet you have to be really lucky i mean you want to talk about colin and i just today we're we're talking about this right now we have a breakdown episode that has six hundred thousand views right how much money do you think that that makes probably like 600 bucks I mean, basically. $300. $300. Wow. So, so you think about, you made a piece of content that 600,000 people enjoyed and you get compensated $300, yeah. right? That you can't make a living like that. Nope. So when you really look at why YouTubers and, and why creators, why the, this opportunity is so meaningful to actually have the audience contribute mm-hmm. is because now you take that and you're like, Okay, well, if you really like the content, we're asking you for a dollar um, to watch it, which is if you go see a movie in theaters, it's what, $30 now to go see a movie it's, in theaters, yeah. right? In LA. Yeah. In LA, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you really care about this, then you contribute a dollar or whatever you think is fair to contribute. And you get to watch the 60-minute piece that's like really powerful and is exactly the, the story that we wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. No other voices in the room. Exactly the story. Just unfiltered. Here's the story. Straight from like our hearts Stra- to yours. Yeah, exactly. Straight and from. That makes the experience better for the audience member too. Like the audience right. member that really cares wants to be a part of the process. Yeah. They want to be someone who gets to fund this movie and be a part of the journey and follow behind the scenes and know when we're struggling with, with the edit and sure. be there with us super late until the night until it actually comes out. Yeah. Because just, they now have so much more backstory. Oh, I mean, even about that night when I was posting, and my eye was like heartbroken that we can't deliver at ten at ten a.m. Like we, not a single message was was anything negative. It was all support. It was all like, hey, even if you need, if you guys need to go to sleep, just do that. Get some rest. You guys are not gonna make the right decisions when you're in that state. We're fine. We'll wait. We know that you guys are creating something good. It was just so overwhelmingly positive that I. It made that more. I mean, I end up staying, yeah, yeah. like even longer than than than, you, than when you got before, after you guys left because we still had to make a decision whether to put it on <laughs> to, to air it or not, and then ended up yeah. attending the premiere. Um, but it t- that it, that shared experience of having the audience watch us create the piece is so special. Yeah, it's nobody has ever done that before. No, 
Yeah, and I think it makes the bond so strong between us and the audience. Yeah. You know, like, now I want to take us through launch day and then post-launch, like, some of the feedback that we've gotten. But, you know, launch day itself, I think, was hard because of how close of a connection. I mean, even I feel to the Yes Theory audience, and I'm not constantly creating for them, mm-hmm. but... You know, the the reality of the matter is that the morning of the launch, we couldn't touch the project anymore. And we knew there were edits that needed to be made to make the film a- as good as we wanted it to be. Yeah. The 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 story was there. The, you know, it was laid out, but it, 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 it had some things to be done to make it, you know, our standard. More seamless. Yeah. yeah. And our, our standard. standard. Yeah. yeah. Our standard. But we couldn't do it. We couldn't touch anything. No one had slept. And we were already past the point of when we had promised it would come out. Uh, just remembering that morning just sends me back into the <laughs> into the stress it was. It was crazy. Thomas and Matt were on flights going yeah. to Europe. It was it was supposed to be the first day of our vacation, and all of a sudden we are half the people that mm-hmm. like half of the resources were available to us. I, I was in a point where I. I was so overwhelmed. I mean, I called you and said I was overwhelmed. I walked outside and like had to constantly just take deep breaths because I just, you know, and you called your mom. Yeah. I called my I've mom as well. Like yeah, yeah. I've, I've never seen myself like that because I wanted to deliver so badly the perfect piece. Yeah. And it, it was impossible to do it at that moment. And it was so, it was even more impossible for me to get to the point where I was like, well, even if we could work on it, am I in the right state of mind? to work on this yeah you know so there was like multiple layers of like this feeling of like this is so overwhelming right now i don't know i've i've never been this overwhelmed i'm typically able to handle i've seen stressful yeah you're you're pretty good with stress the worst was we had the timeline working for about 15 minutes yeah and the energy was so high yeah we were all like well we're effing doing this like this is happening we're making this film here we go we're giving high fives it was like it's gonna happen (laughs) And then all of a sudden it, it just, just stopped again. Yeah. And I, that was kind of it for me. It's a funny like, thing about, but back to your point yeah. about just you being so uncomfortable putting something that is not perfect. Right. That, that yeah. was like, that was the lesson here. That was the lesson. I know there was, there was this moment where I started to realize like, is, are we being tested right now? Like, because we have to put something out that's uncomfortable for us to put out. Yeah. Like there was a moment where I was just like, we're being tested, right? Like this has to be, it's all lining up to the message. Yeah. Are we truly going to seek the discomfort here and be like, let's press publish. Mm -hmm. So by the time we left, which was, there was a breaking point for me, which was 6 PM. I was like, I, I've been up for almost 48 hours at this point, I think, or almost 40, I don't know, whatever, 36 hours, something like that. Um, And I was just toast. And I was like, I got it. I got to go lay down. Like I had to leave. And at that point, the decision was to not publish the film. Yeah. Oh, it's true. I forgot that we made the decision. You guys are asleep. Yeah. At at that point, the decision was to not publish the film. Yeah. So how did it get to publish that night? A long conversation between Kate, who is on our management team, uh, and myself just going back and forth on whether better than than perfect is the way to go and whether and and who who will be the ones paying for the film and whether we would and whether that film delivers on their expectations or not 
which is in this case, and that was your guys' point before you left, is the audience that will transact with us and buy the film is an audience that wants an emotional connection with the S-theory. And out of any S-theory piece we have ever made, this movie delivers on the emotional connection better and bigger than any time we've ever done before. But yeah. I think like what ended up happening with us publishing it and then I was I was going home that night just getting on a bike and going to my apartment to, to, to pass out. And then I knew that our friend Houston was throwing a premiere to 40 people to show the film. And in that moment, I was like, there is no way I'm going to go to bed. I have to see an audience watch it. I have to feel the room. Uh, because this is an experience we had with the Webhoff. Right. We, we had the chance to, to premiere it before. Yeah. Um, so I end up going there. And as I, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I was able to fully experience the emotions in it. And as someone who, was, who had seen all the parts that I cried in, probably like 30 or 40 times that night, I could still feel feel it hitting me because of how well the film was made. What a and feeling think, to just yeah. feel like people are so invested in, in stories right. like this. Even the, the creative energy that goes into something, when you know that people people pay for it, again, it's from, from your heart to, to, to theirs and they are paying for it because they are so invested in it. You just want to want to create in the, in the yeah. most authentic and the most state I way agree. possible. I agree. You want to create like it gives me more energy when i'm creating to know that someone is so invested that they're paying money because it doesn't translate as oh it's another person watching the film or yeah. another person paying mm -hmm. for the film it doesn't translate as numbers sure. which kind of like removes the the yep, humanity sure. like the human element out of it now we're creating for real people no matter what size they are right and i mean when you when you look at the amount of people paid versus our overall audience, there's obviously like it's a big it's a big gap. It's not like we yeah. had a hundred thousand people pay for the film, right? Right. But the number of people that paid for the film helped us make the price of the film and right. more. Now we're like we're actually able to make more and invest in more resources that will allow us to not have cr right. software crashing next sure. time. Yeah. Hire more resources so we don't have to pull up to pull up, to pull off all nighters and just be ready with a full team that will help us execute this next mm -hmm. time so that we don't have we don't have to run into this again and now we know that we actually have the bandwidth to invest because at that point we were investing so much in this film that we just didn't know that would another investment another two three grand and another editor or another hard drive would would help us or harm us because right yeah. we don't know we don't know if we're going to make the money back on the film right I find too that it's so hard for me to appreciate the discomfort of all of these documentary projects we've done in the moment, right? Whether it was the NBC sure. project, the first Yes Theory doc we did together, or this one, launch day when it's not going well, it's really hard to think, oh yeah, in two days I'm gonna I'm gonna appreciate this day. Yeah. But as time passes and you get some sleep, you really realize, wow, I learned so much about the process of filmmaking and about my ability to handle some of those moments and mm -hmm. how I'm going to react. That's why in that moment of going to the premiere, there's nothing I was wishing more than having you guys there because yeah. I knew that even though, even though your your guys' brains were beat up at that point, you seeing the audience react the way they did oh, to I the film, loved that would have been yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, I I would have loved it. I mean, it yeah. will happen. We're trying to yeah, yeah. we're trying to organize yeah. a premiere and you guys will get to see for sure everybody react to it. So now once the film came out and, you know, the next morning we, I FaceTimed you and we, we you know, I, it was such a good feeling to have the film out and just to see some of the tweets and the Instagram messages that were coming in. I mean, people really enjoy the film. Yeah. And I was here yesterday when um, you FaceTimed a contributor. If you, tell me about that experience. 
Well, we were looking at the list of contributions from the audience and one really stood up to us um, because it came from it came from somewhere in the Middle East and it was uh, it was a contribution of a thousand dollars and the name was a was a, was a girl's name. Um, so I, I was first it threw me off because I thought is it a mistake like did she did she mean to put a thousand dollars like should I should I double check and make sure because it's, it's that's a big like where we come from that's a lot of money um, and I end up messaging her finding her on Instagram and I message her and and she said no I actually meant that amount and I have a I have a, I have a reason of why it's that amount and I asked her if she can FaceTime on the spot and she said yes and we got on the phone and Oh my God, that hit me. That touched my heart in ways that no feedback about yes theory or about our message has ever like touched me. Um, she was just talking about the imp- the impact of the message of seek discomfort in her life and her seeing someone who comes from a similar background to her and understands the the cultural implications it takes to follow your dream or your truth when that doesn't align with what your family wants. And to her, that meant so much that she was willing to make the contribution before she even watched the movie. Um, and I, I was telling you guys this a f- few days ago. Usually when feedback or s- just something is said to me about yesterday and it's coming from a Middle Eastern Arab Muslim woman, it means the most to me because to me that's... First, it reminds me of my my, my sister and, and how how different of a life she lives there being a woman in the Middle East. Um, but also the fact that, that that represents the power of a message like like seek discomfort and, and a lifestyle like what yesterday promotes and making people, even in the, in the places where they feel the most imp- oppressed, they feel that there's still ways to be seen and ways to follow their dreams regardless where they come from. Um, so yeah, that was... That was very, very special to hear that from her and and to just see that level. And I mean, so for us, for me, it wasn't the thousand the dollars that that made me want to like very curious. It was more of seeing that it was clearly someone, someone from the Middle East and uh, a girl's a girl's name. That's why I was I was just very. I was very curious, uh, man. I mean, what a unbelievable journey just creating this piece has been, you know, and and whether it's from the feedback from the audience or the process of trying something new um, or the experiences we had in this house, you know, of actually putting this thing together, staying up all night together, working as hard as we can to make this the best possible story. Yeah. I mean, it's just another, you know, Matt, Matt and I walked around the block here one time when I was a little stressed about the doc and both him and I just took a walk a couple times around the block. And one thing uh, we started to talk about, Matt and I always talk about um, the future and like the achievements we want to have, you know? That sounds like Matt. It sounds like Matt, right? Matt always brings that up. He wants to know what, where you want to go. Where's the, what's the goal? And at one point I just turned to him and I was like, actually, I think this is the goal is just working with really cool people and telling really cool stories. Mm-hmm. As long as I can do that, I'm pretty happy. So I don't know if I have to look so far out to look at where the achievement is. And that perfectly aligns with your 
30th birthday speech, which you did right in the middle of the edit. Like right. he turned, Samir turned 30 when he was on the computer editing this doc. Um, so the, the last thing I want to talk about is just bringing it all back around, like the process of putting this out on our own, trekking through this, this very challenging three weeks of putting this film together. Um, the parallels and the symbolism between your desire to climb the Great Pyramid of Giza and what ended up happening is so unbelievable to me. Like, again, you know, without an, like the, the Pyramid of Giza is working with a network or a studio. Yeah. Right. Exactly. There's like all these the voices. Process yeah, there's and, like this official process. Yeah. There's all these other voices. You have to get permission for things. And it just doesn't feel as pure, right? Wow. And then going through the jungle is like this unpaved path. Yeah. Not many people have done it, right? He's so and deep. You don't necessarily he's, know what's going to so happen. Powerful. Wow, there. that's actually yeah. pretty powerful. Like I, I didn't even when you when we first started when you said it, it didn't hit me the same way it's hitting me right, right. now. But it is so true. Yeah, that's the modern creator is is trekking through this path that's hard and it takes a long time to get there, but it's the way you want to do it. And it's with the people that you want to do it with because we got to do it with the audience. Yeah. With the people that care about the content, they got to f finance this thing. Mm -hmm. They got to fund it. They got to make it happen. And that's who I want funding my projects yeah. is the people who care about it. A thousand true fans. We, we talked yeah. about that in yeah. our... It's just like yeah. putting your faith in people yeah. to make it happen. So I just want to thank everyone who's purchased the film, who's contributed uh, everyone who's supported the work. I yeah. mean, from our side, just as filmmakers, getting to make these few pieces with you guys and, and getting to create for this audience is, is unbelievable. And create with you guys, it's like, it's, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a filmmaker and I never envisioned it being like this, but it's much better than I, I could have envisioned 100%. it to be. It's, you, sometimes you end up achieving the dreams you never knew you had. That's the pursuit. And that's where we should end the podcast. Yeah, All right. Yeah, so yeah, thanks yeah. to everyone. That was too profound. I pointed out Colin and he had I nothing. I don't yeah. want to add to that. Yeah. That's it this week for the Colin and Samir podcast. A big thanks to Amar for joining us on this episode. And make sure to go check out The Lost Pyramid. You can head to yestheory.com slash documentary to give it a watch. Yes Theory also released an uncut behind the scenes of what it was actually like to make this movie, and it's a pretty raw look into the process of editing and what our last month has looked like. We also released a video on our thoughts on paid content on our YouTube channel, so you can go to youtube.com slash Colin and Samir and check out our latest video. All right, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're just at Colin and Samir all over the internet. We will see you back here next week for another episode of the Colin and Samir podcast.